0: So, Father, that is our prayer today, that you would take our lives. Our lives do not belong to us. They belong to you. So, Lord God, we willingly lay them at your feet. And we affirm to you that our life is yours, that we have been bought with a price, that we will glorify you with the totality of our being. Now, Lord God, show us... How to do what Paul said to the Ephesians. How to make the most of the time. Give us ears to hear your word. May the seed of your word fall on good ground. May it take root and may it bear much fruit. It is to that end, Lord God, that I'm available to you. Use me, Father, to whatever degree that you would have with the punchline being saved souls people added to your church, people who have veered off course, now being realigned because of the proclamation of your word and the prompting of your spirit. God, do it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to take them out. If you're old school like me and you actually turn pages, Want to encourage you? Let, let, let me just say something. I was thinking this week. I know we put the scriptures uh, on the screen, and uh, we will continue to do that. I think that's a beautiful thing, wonderful thing. I understand in a room this this size, we are all over the spiritual spectrum and continuum. Um, some of you grow, grew up in Christian homes. You went to Sunday schools with flannel boards. Anybody? Flannel boards? Amen. Um, others of you, um, this is your first time maybe uh, in church or you're new to this whole notion and concept of church. Uh, we are glad that you are here. And um, and so maybe for you, you don't own a Bible, um, and so the screens are good. But I, I want to encourage you, especially if you do know Jesus, bring your word to church. Bring your word to church. Take notes. Cross-reference. Don't take what I'm saying to be gospel truth. Be like the Bereans. Examine the scriptures for yourself to see if it's of the Lord. So I want to encourage you to do that. Psalm chapter 90. If this is your first time here, you have picked a wonderful Sunday to begin uh, with us. We are beginning a new series on time, we are calling it insanely busy and god 's going to say some things to us um, we 'll take a break next sunday i 'll be in First Samuel chapter One, honoring our mothers. And uh, we're going to celebrate on Mother's Day. I want to encourage you uh, to bring a friend, to bring um, mamas with you. We are excited to uh, be able to celebrate and honor mothers, and we'll do it from the Word of God as we'll look at what a godly mama and Hannah looks like. And we'll give you some biblical based principles in that. But for today, we're going to begin our series by looking at the only psalm that is attributed to the pen. Of Moses. Listen to what he says beginning in verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away, verse 5, as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. What he's getting at here is he's talking about the fact that we're all going to die. Well, why are we going to die? Because of God's anger. Well, why is God angry? Because of sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, they brought death into the world. You, verse 8, have set our iniquities, synonym for sin, before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. I chuckle at this because Moses is about 120 when he writes this. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers, verse 11, the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Here's the punchline. In light of all this depressing truth about time, what are we to do? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice Hmm. and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Al Capone was quite possibly the most notorious gangster in American history. He had squandered his one life going after things that not only in the scheme of things were frivolous and wasteful, but were also downright sinful and immoral. Al Capone was given to such criminal activities as extortion and murder and violence. He was a man who was overrun with greed and covetousness and lust. In fact, uh, he had been stricken with syphilis And towards the end of his life, we know that that he had a real come-to-Jesus moment. Faced with his own sense of mortality, knowing that death was just a few heartbeats away, Al Capone was asked the question, What do you want etched on your tombstone? They asked this famous, notorious gangster, with death looming on the horizon of his life, What would you like your epitaph to be? Al Capone gave it some thought and he said, write these three words on my tombstone. My Jesus, mercy. My Jesus, mercy. Implicit in that epitaph is the reality that Al Capone faced with his own sense of mortality, was overrun with a sense of regret, dare I even say grief, that he had squandered the one shot at life that God had given him, that he had spent his life frivolously pursuing things that in the scheme of things did not matter. Now, I can just come to your neighborhood real quick, put my feet up on your coffee table, and get real comfortable and cozy. Yes, I understand that That um, once since we can't really relate with Al Capone, I'm guessing that none of you here are into extorting people or greed or violence. If you are, God's grace covers you. If we find out about it, we also call the cops. But I want you to understand that while on one hand there's a disconnect we're not necessarily living that kind of life all of us know the feeling of looking through the rearview mirrors of our life at certain seasons in our life and in our own way saying my jesus mercy i wasted it who here doesn't know that pain who here doesn't know the pain of realizing, man, I, I wasted that year. I wasted those years. I spent that season chasing and going hard after after stuff that in the scheme of things didn't matter. Who here doesn't know the pain of, if I can use a golfing term, man, I wish I had a mulligan. I wish I had a do-over for my high school years. I, I wish I would have... In my youth would have really clung to what Solomon said, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And it's so easy to get swept away under the tyranny of the urgent. And it's not necessarily sinful things, it's it's just we get caught up in the rat race of life, and many of our calendars, I'm going to talk a lot about this over the course of this series, Uh, many of our calendars, the problem with our philosophy of calendaring is that our calendars control us, we don't control the calendars, the classic case of the tail wagging the dog, we spend so much of life reacting and one task after another and, and, and one thing after another. And it's kind of what Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 when he talks about the irony of motion without movement. Of doing a lot of stuff but doing nothing at the same time. So we wake up in the morning, man, we scarf down some breakfast, we hop in the, the car, we battle traffic, we finally get to work, and we go to this meeting and that meeting and this meeting and that meeting, some of us in between meetings play a little solitaire on company times, and we do that and hop back in the car and fight some more traffic, get home and scarf down some dinner and help out with homework and pick up the kids from the activity, scroll through Facebook and help out with some more homework, tweet a little bit and help out with some more homework, fall into bed, and that Day turns into a series of days and weeks, and we, we, we can be so busy that we realize that nagging in the back of our mind is the proverbial question Am I really getting after what matters? Am I really pursuing the eternally significant? Let's take a test. I call this the hurry sickness test. If you're sitting next to a loved one, I wanna give you and this loved one, spouse, significant other, friend, I wanna give you two permission to look at the other if you think this person should answer yes to any of these questions. You ready? Let's see if you have succumbed to the American bane of hurry sickness. Question number one. Do you check work emails or phone messages at home? Mm, One lady said, "Mm." (laughs) Question number two, has anyone ever said to you, I didn't want to trouble you because I know how busy you are. I'm seeing some looks. Question three, do you often exceed the speed limit while driving? (laughs) Question number four, do you pray with your children or grandchildren regularly? Question five, do you have enough time to pray? Question six, do you have a hobby in which you are actively involved? Question seven, do you eat together as a family or household at least once a day? Busy. We all know it. We all know what it's like to just get caught up and caught up and do and, and do and go and do and go and do and go and do and go. And if we're not careful, we can get caught up in a whole lot of motion with no movement. Tasks versus priorities. We can trade in what is eternally valuable for the tyranny of the urgent and the moment. When I first got into ministry, man, I, I began asking a lot of pastors a, a series of questions. And, and one of my questions, was, if you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? And to a person, they all said, I would preach less and spend more time with my family. When you're flatlining... And you're checking out of this world. I promise you, you will not think I wish I would have spent more time at work. You get one shot. I mean even looking at my kids, at three boys. If all goes well, seven years, my wife and I, empty nesters. Seven years. I mean, time flies did i get after what's important this series to be sure is not about how you cannot be busy i to just fire a shot right now and say you should be busy i say this with a bit of tongue in cheek busy is not a four-letter word it's not a bad word You should be busy. I should be busy. We should be busy loving our families well. We should be busy serving God. We should be busy making disciples. We should be busy giving our lives away. There's a reason why God commands us once a week and we'll spend a whole sermon on it to rest. The command of the Sabbath implies that I spent six other days getting after it. So this is not a series on how you can be lazy. all is very clear to the Thessalonians. He says, if a person does not work, don't let them eat. Plain and simple. I remember one time, man, I was pastor of the day at a, at a church. I was working at a, at a church in Los Angeles, man. We, uh, I was pastor of the day and a homeless guy walks in and, um, we had this whole system for how to provide care for this homeless person. And, uh, we were going to take him to a shelter and he looked at me and said, Oh, I don't do shelters. I only do hotels. Well, brother, I can't help you. (laughs) So here's this individual, didn't want to work, wanted the amenities of life, wanted his best life now without sweating. This is not about that. Let me just, while I'm on the subject, let me just say this. Let me talk to those of you who are contemplating or on the precipice of retirement, I want you to understand that the American notion of retirement, where you work, 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 so you can reach a stage of life where you can shuffleboard your way into the presence of God, is unbiblical. If by retirement you mean I'm in a perpetual state of chill playing bingo all day long, that is sinful. I'm not saying you shouldn't retire, but let's just define what retirement means. So here's Moses, he's getting after it, well into his hundreds, 120 years of age. Caleb, at the age of 85, when they're divvying out the land, he says, give me the hill country. I want to chop it down. I'm not bingoing my way into the kingdom of God. Noah, well past retirement, when he starts to build a carnival cruise ship. God wants us to work, but on the flip side, I I want also. I think this series is going to bless us because I want to speak to those of us who are on the brink of burnout. Dr. Richard Swinson, in his wonderful book Margin says margin is that alleyway, that space, hear it now, between our load and our limits. Some of you have no space. You don't know margin. You don't know rest. You don't know relaxation. You don't know what it means to just chill. You don't know how to shut off your screens. You don't know how to not be on social media. You don't know how to turn it off. So, this series looks to restore some margin to us. As we come to Psalm chapter 90, here is Moses. Most scholars tell us that he is preparing the people of God for their entryway into the promised land. Here, here's the people of God for 40 years. They've been wandering in the wilderness. They've been in a holding pattern. They've been doing perpetual laps around Mount Sinai. Here is Moses. Finally, the people of God are on the threshold of experiencing the great promised land. And here is Moses preparing the people of God for the long awaited promised land. And he prepares them by giving a prayer that is making petitions to God. And in this prayer of petition to God, if there's one word that some up the prayer if there's one word i want you to write down it is the word time time moses is saying when you walk into the promised land i want you to make the most of the time Paul would pick up on this in Ephesians chapter 5 when he implores us to make the most of the time because the days are evil. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul would also implore the Colossians, make the most of the time. Time is the most valuable resource you and I have. You can use, lose money in the stock market and grow it back. But I want you to wrap your mind around this concept. Today is May 1st, 2016. There will never, ever, 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 ever be another May 1st, 2016. When the sun sets on this day, it is gone. It's done. You can't grow it back. You can't gain it back. You can't get it back. And because Moses understands the valuable commodity of time, it is as if in this psalm he's grabbing us by the lapels and he's pleading with us with a sense of urgency in his prayer, make the most of the time, the most of the time, the most of the time. Now for the depressing part of the sermon. Moses gives us really four realities about time. First thing Moses wants us to understand about time is time is terminal. Time is terminal. Look at verse 4. He says, for a thousand years in your sight, actually Peter will quote this verse in Second Peter chapter 2, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. He says, you sweep them away as with a flood. See the imagery. I started reading this uh, weekend David McCullough's classic work, The Johnstown Flood. And in this work, he talks about people who, who are just sitting in their houses eating and all of a sudden the flood sweeps them away. Here one minute, gone the next. Peter talks about in the days of Noah, they're eating and drinking and having fun and all of a sudden this thing came. Swept them away. He goes on to say... They are like a dream. Our days on the earth. Have you ever had a really good dream? I mean, smile on your face dream. And all of a sudden you wake up and you wait, 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 wait. And you try to force yourself back to sleep to pick back up in that dream. He says, our days on the earth are like a dream. Here for a moment and just like that. Gone. Final imagery he uses for the terminal nature of time. He says, like grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. In the morning we look at this thing, it's lush, it's green, it's wonderful, sun beats down on it, and then all of a sudden it withers and go, goes away. It is here for a moment, and then it's gone. Marvin E. Tate says this, humanity lives under a divine mandate of mortality which no human being can escape. Job 14, 1 through 2, let me nourish you in the word of God, speaks of our mortality. When Job says, man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. Psalm 103, 15 to 16 says this, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone. It's gone like a flower. It's gone. And its place knows it no more. I'm excited to move here to California. This is Healthville, USA, man. Eat as organic as you want. Have as much, you know, kale salads with the quinoa stuff on it as you want. Jog as much as you want. Work out as much as you want. Uh, Lift as many weights as you want. Do it all. You will die. You and I are not immortal. Look at these images. How I was just reminded of this the week. There's Prince in his fifties. His purpleness. just like that. The previous night, man, he's doing a concert. People are loving it. Purple rain. I mean, they're just... Just like that, he's gone. I watch the news stories on Prince. My mind goes back to Michael Jackson. He was in the middle of preparing for his tour. This is it. I mean, they're... They're at the Forum there in Inglewood. The singers are all lined up. People had made all these plans, man. They're probably charging stuff on credit cards, knowing they're going to get that paycheck, man. It's going to be rich and wonderful. And, man, they're signing autographs. They just know that their ticket has come. They're background singers. They're producers. They had rearranged their schedule. And all of a sudden, of course, there's Steve Jobs. I pastored in Memphis, and Steve Jobs came to Memphis to get his liver transplant, and here's the innovator, the creative person, and changed the trajectory of how we think about and do life technologically, and all three died in their 50s. Read the obituary section of any newspaper and I guarantee you, you will read of people who made wonderful plans. Vacations were lined up. Tickets were bought. I, I, I had it figured out. And then all of a sudden, God said, unannounced, give me back my breath. Time is Terminal. We are not immortal. Second reality. Look at verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Here's what he said. The years of our life are 70, on a good day, 80. Get their span is but toil and trouble. I'll come back to that. Underline this phrase they are soon gone and we fly away. Second reality of time not only is time terminal, time flies. You ever been to their high school reunion? If you want an illustration of time flying, just like the other day, I was wearing my stonewashed jeans. My Adidas tennis shoes with the fat boy laces that you could exchange in and out to match. It seems just like yesterday, man, I was begging mom for the new Sony Walkman. Seems just like it. I remember going to Shannon Mall with my mom in 1984, begging mom for the new Air Jordans. The black, red, and white ones. And my mom saying, $64. I cannot spend the Lord's money. $64 on a pair of sneakers. Boom, and just like that, 30-something years later. I'll never forget, man, my, um, my grandmother died and that, her death was really hard on me personally because she was my last grandparent and uh, never met my maternal grandfather. He was 45 when he died. He died well before I was born. Never, uh, my maternal grandmother, she died when I was 16. My paternal grandfather, uh, he died when I was 22. And then three years later, my last grandparent dies. I'll never forget going to Roanoke, Virginia, and my dad is just kind of playing point, making sure everything's together. He's getting all the arrangements together, and I'll never forget this. There's certain moments in life, man, you just never forget. Me and my dad are sitting in the limo going from the church to the cemetery, and dad finally has a moment to catch his breath and grieve. His mother has died. This is 1998, so my dad's 48 years old at the time, still the picture of health and strength and vitality. He's bawling his eyes out, and he looks at I'll never forget. He looks at me and says, someday, son, you'll do this for me. Isn't it a trip watching your parents age? My hero is aging. He's slowing down. He gave me the death talk the other day. I'm like, man, are you sick? No, I'm not sick. I just want you to know where stuff is. He did it for his mom. Someday, should the Lord tarry, I'll do it for my dad. Someday, my kids will do it for me. Someday, their kids will do it for them. Time flies. Third reality about time, Moses says in Psalm chapter 90, verse 10, not only is it terminal, not only does it fly, but the third reality he says about time is that time is toilsome. He says in the middle of verse 10, yet their span, speaking of the years of our lives, is but here it is, it's toil. The Hebrew word for toil, it means labor, it means exhaustion, it means difficulty, it means that which is hard... Now, forgive me for the depressing nature of this sermon, but but Moses is giving us some sobering realities. Yes, if you read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I believe it is, Solomon says that there are seasons of laughter. There's seasons when life is going great, seasons when life is in a groove, it's wonderful, and we're waiting for the other shoe to drop, and Psalm 90, Moses says, it will drop. You have difficulty. This is an amoral word. It doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. It doesn't mean God's mad at you. It's called living in a fallen world. You will have moments of difficulty. Some of the difficulty will be physical. Don't feel like going to work tomorrow. Well, you, well, you got to go to work. I tell my kids all the time. Men do what they're supposed to do even though they don't feel like doing it hear this Raymond word if i have one more man tells me tell me he quit his job he felt led to quit his job without having another job lined up i'm going to go crazy <laughs> do you feel led to eat toilsome it's hard it's difficult There are seasons in life where man it's just exhausting and i fall into bed man and i'm tired and i'm worn out it's just the nature of life it's emotionally exhausting i had to deal with difficult people and difficult kids i got teenagers in my house man and they just they're leeches and how do i deal with them i'm telling too much of my business Again, going back to my grandmother, I remember a couple months before she died, we didn't know she was sick, and uh, we were at Thanksgiving dinner, and I said, Nana, how you doing? And she says, I'm I'm ready to go home, son. And by home, she meant to heaven. She was tired. Fourthly and finally, time is not just terminal. Time doesn't just fly. Time isn't just toilsome. But fourthly and finally, he says time is troublesome the hebrew word here for trouble it means evil it means that in which is unjust it means that in which is immoral it means that in which stuff happens that is bad that is criminal what he is saying here is in this life not only will it be difficult but bad things do happen to proverbially good people I know we're not good people, but here's what he's saying. I want you to check a box. You inhale and exhale long enough, bad, evil things will happen to you. It's called living in a fallen world. Someone's going to lie on you. Someone's going to gossip about you. Someone's going to slander you. Someone's going to betray you. There will be that unjust boss who will go after you. There will be greedy people who do silly things, man. You'll get laid off from a company, get two weeks severance, and then watch the CEO get fired and get a $36 million severance package. It happens. It's part of life. So we turn on the TV and we read about the pedophile or we see the murder of the teenager and we see the abuse of power by some cops out there. Life, Moses says, is troublesome. Jesus in John chapter 16 said it this way, In this life you will have trouble. Can I give us some hope? It's dark and depressing, let me give us some hope. You know these four realities will not be our future eternal reality. In heaven, time is not eternal. Moses says one day is is as a thousand days. In fact, you won't even need your watch. I know your Rolex is cute, I know your Cartier watch is cute, I know it's wonderful, you paid all that money for it. You don't need it in heaven because there is no time. In time, it won't, in heaven, it won't even fly. In, in heaven, there will be no toil. And for sure, in heaven, there will be no trouble. As the old Negro spiritual says, trouble won't last always. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. So what do we do? In light of these realities, what do we do? Look at verse 12. Moses says, because time is terminal. Moses says, because time flies, because it's toilsome and troublesome. He says in verse 12, in a form of petition and prayer to God, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Moses, what do you mean number our days? I'm going day one, day two, day 20, day two. No, 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 no. Again, Marvin E. Tate is helpful This Hebrew scholar says, numbering days in the sense of realizing how few the days of human life are, a constant awareness and response to the temporality of life, the wisdom that emerges from contemplation of the fleeting character and brevity of our lifetime. You know what Moses is saying? It is the wise person who begins with the end. It is the wise person who never loses sight of their mortality. It is the wise person who understands that at any given moment, God can call me out of this place. It is the wise person who understands this truth. If I had 24 hours to live, what would I need to start doing that I'm not doing now? I'll do it. And what is it that I'll need to stop doing that I'm doing now? I'll stop it. It is the wise person who does not assume that tomorrow is promised. It was Mark Twain who said, youth is a gift wasted on the young. Youth is a gift wasted on the young. What does he mean by that? He says, the problem with young people is they assume there's always tomorrow. So we never get around in our youth to doing those things that truly matter. We never get around to it. And unfortunately... So many adults don't grow out of that mindset. I'm often asked by young preachers, well, pastor, when did you start preaching? I tell them, all, I started preaching when I was 17 years of age. And then they ask me, well, why did you start preaching at 17? I says, well, a couple of things. Number one, I always knew I was was called to preach, but I figured I'd get around to doing it, you know, later on. I, I had all this time. But at 17, there was an experience that jolted me out of my slumber. I had a chemistry class with a guy by the name of Craig Tarleton. Craig and I were 17 years of age and I was going to public school, loved loved my experience in public school. But a part of the reason why I mentioned that is there's a lot of people there that didn't know Christ. And I was really kind of ashamed of Jesus Christ, my own personal relationship at that time. Didn't want to make a stand for Christ. And But I'll never forget being 17, walking to Miss O'Shaughnessy's chemistry class with Craig Tarleton. And every single day, it was as if the Holy Spirit was talking to me. Share your faith with Craig. Share your faith with Craig. Share your faith. And I'd put it off till the next day. Next day would come along. Holy Spirit, share your faith with Craig. And I'd always put it off, put it off. Never got around to it. And a couple weeks later, after the class finished, Craig was jogging around the track and collapsed and died of a heart attack. Here I am at the age of 17, I'm sitting in Craig's funeral, and for the first time in my life, I am struck with my own mortality. When you're 17, all your questions are yet future. Have you applied for the SATs and, uh, you know, have you done the SATs? Have you applied to college and what are you majoring? Those are all my questions. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And it wasn't until I'm sitting at Craig's funeral where I'm realizing for the first time in my life, tomorrow ain't guaranteed. Solomon says this. He says, listen, it is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. What does he mean? He says, we learn a whole lot more about God and life from funerals than we do parties. That one of the most redemptive things you could ever do is to go to a funeral, and not just to a funeral, but a funeral of someone who's the same age as you or younger than you. So at the age of 17, man, I said, I'm going to get serious about my faith. And I start preaching. They're the worst sermons ever in the history of sermons. I'm preaching out on street corners. I'm preaching to homeless people in shelters. I'm preaching, later on, be preaching on the corner of uh, uh, up, up there in Philly, sharing my faith with people. Man, I'm just on fire because it hits me. Tomorrow is not promised we had a 14 year old kid die in our church in memphis jay jay was this gregarious kid man big old afro life of the party my kids loved him jay went to youth group one night then right after youth group collapsed and died told my kids you're going to his funeral they don't want to go why are you gonna make us go better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting Moses is saying, have a sense of urgency. Stop putting it off. Seize the moment. Get after it. How do we get after it? What's our priority? Let's go home on this one. If you want to make the most of the time, Moses in this prayer. He keeps turning to God in this prayer. He makes all kinds of petitions. He says, so teach us. Later on, he says, satisfy us with your steadfast love. Later on, he says, make us glad. Later on, he says, uh, establish the work of our hands. He's constantly turning to God, constantly turning to God. God, help us make the most of our time. And so what he's saying here by implications, if you want to make the most of time, appeal to the one who is above and beyond and outside of time and put him in the middle of time, that is, God why should we appeal to God verse 1 he tells us or actually verse 2 he says of God that God is from everlasting to everlasting he says God is from everlasting as one preacher says that means he was in the beginning before the beginning began to begin he's from everlasting that God was here before the Santa Cruz Mountains. He was here before the Pacific Ocean. He was here before the Grand Canyon was carved. But if he was just from everlasting, he would be really old. But Moses says, no, he's not just from everlasting. He's too everlasting. That God was here before the Santa Cruz Mountains were here, and he will be here long after you're gone. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Everlasting. Why should me, a finite person, turn to the infinite God? Because God is not limited by time, and he is the one who will help us to make the most of time. Let me give you the picture for this. Imagine you go to a parade, and you stand at the parade, and you see one float go by, and you're wondering what the next float is, and you wait, and you see the next float go by, and then you see the next float go by, and you see the next float go by... by, The idea here is, at the parade, you're seeing the events linearly. At every parade, though, especially the major ones, there's the Goodyear blimp. The Goodyear blimp has a different perspective on the parade. It doesn't see the parade linearly, one event after another. It sees all things happening at the same time. Humanity in this life, it is like we're standing on the street corner watching one event after another, after another, after another. We see things linearly, but God is in the blimp seeing it all happen at the same time. I know we can't get this in our minds, but you need to understand that God exists at the day of your birth and the day of your death all at the same time. That in God's sovereignty, there is nothing that happens in our lives that surprises him or that occurs to him. He is the infinite God. Moses says, if you want to make the most of your time in this terminal, fleeting, toilsome, troublesome time, keep God at the center. Why should I keep God at the center? At the end of our text, he says this, verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. The Hebrew word translated as steadfast love is hesed. It's not God's love in general, but it is his love that is reserved for a special kind of people. A kind of people who are in relationship with him. The sad or steadfast love, here it is, is God's covenantal love. It is a love that never gives up, never gives out, never gives in. It is an unfailing, unrelenting, unceasing, to make up a word, unquitting love. This is covenantal love. Why should I keep God at the forefront? Because if you are in relationship with the infinite God, there is nothing you can do, friends, that will make God turn his back on you. You are recipients of his said. As the worship team comes, and as we prepare our hearts for communion, as we turn our attention to this great God, god says you get one shot at life friends make the most of the time if you want to make the most of the time you don't need to read a book on time management you need to turn to the one who offers you His said unfailing unceasing unrelenting love a god who loved you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. Several years ago, there was a wildfire here in the state of California. Devastated hundreds of acres and pushed out wildlife. And those wildlife who couldn't get out, they ended up being burned to death. As a fireman was extinguishing the last of the blaze, one fireman in particular heard the chirping of birds. In a nest in a tree. He climbed this tree to inspect it and was shocked at what he saw. These were baby birds who were chirping, and they were chirping under the outstretched, charred, dead wings of their mama. These birds were chirping and were alive because their mama intentionally covered them to the cost of her own life. Friends, you are alive today by the grace of God. God brought you in here by his grace. But what he offers you is far more than physical life. He offers you eternal life, abundant life. For he who has the Son has life indeed. He is the resurrection in the life. And the way that life happens is God loved you so much that he gave his only son. And that son was like that mama bird on a cross. It stretched out its arms. It took the heat and the pain so that you and I could have life. God says you get one shot at life. There are no mulligans. But you can make the most of life. If you have him as your Alpha and your Omega, your beginning and your end. I want to make several calls right now. I want to make a call to salvation for someone who would say, I don't have God and his son Jesus at the center of my life. God says to you, today, today, right now, May 1st, 2016, there will never be another one. Today, God says, in my sovereignty, I've allowed you to live so that you could hear the gospel proclaimed and give your heart and soul to the one who gave his life for you. You can begin today by making a decision. I will make the most of this day by giving my life to Jesus Christ. Some of you will come and you'll know Jesus for the first time today. But I make another call for those of you who do know Jesus, and you're saying, I think I'm wasting it. I'm not really getting after what really matters. The great tragedy of so many of us is we've got life insurance and we are financially prepared, but not spiritually prepared. And you're going, I don't think I'm getting after what really matters in life. God and his kingdom. And living in this life with the next life in mind. Uh, yeah, it's not that I'm living in sin. I'm in the rat race of life, Pastor, and I just need prayer to have margin in my life to pursue what really matters. We invite you to come, and we'd love to pray with you and for you that you, child of God, would make your life count. Father, in the name of Jesus, we have one request. That no one would leave this place without saying yes to you. That no one would leave here, Lord God, without making the most of the time by giving themselves to the one who is outside of time, Jesus Christ. So, Lord God, would you save someone's soul? We pray for that person who's here today who doesn't know you. Would you add to your church in the name of Jesus? Amen. Coming coming. Someone else. God bless you.